and the first one comes from Luke chapter 6, beginning at verse 12. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. And the second reading comes from Genesis chapter 15, beginning at verse 1. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless, and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliza of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And the last reading comes from Romans chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. Therefore the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. This is the word of the Lord. Morning, do please take a seat. I'm a fan of the old hymns, but sometimes there are some wonderful hymns from the, that have been written recently, aren't there? Wonderful hymns. Where's my glasses? Here they are. And a very warm welcome to you all, and uh, I had to be welcomes before, especially if you're a visitor. Any visitors with us? It's probably not my place to ask that. Who am I? Any visitors with us for the first time, maybe? I won't embarrass you unless I know you. Yes, there's two I can embarrass a lot. Keep your eye on those two over there. That's very good. There was one there. Where are you from, brother? Did you put your hand up? Somebody put their hand up, a visitor? Yeah, where are you from? You're from Blenheim? Very warm welcome. Better weather down here than uh, Blenheim, you're right. Any other folks? Any others? Anyway, if you're too shy to put your hand up, we'll blow you, we'll see you later. But um, it's great to have you with us. Uh, last time I preached here, this, I did something with this microphone and it, and it irritated people. I think it was because that was touching that. If I do that, if I get excited in the sermon, if I do that, is that okay? Can you still hear me? Doesn't matter. Great. Well, that's good. Well, after those stupid things, let me pray. May the words of my lips and the thoughts and meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord God, our Creator and Redeemer. Amen. Well, what is the church? We know very well that it's not a building. We know that it's people. But who are the church? What should it look like? And what should it be doing? And I think this is a very important question, especially in today's church climate. 
Church denominations now are becoming more, it seems that they're becoming more and more just another secular institution which go along with the same moral standards as society does. And where local churches have got so bogged down with all kinds of what I call sort of stuffy stuffiness of the church or social issues. They get bogged down with all kinds of things and we somehow lose sight of what the church is and what it should be and what it should be doing. Has this church lost its way? Have you lost your way as a Christian? Well, those few verses from Luke's uh, Gospel, which we'll be looking at especially, uh, from Luke's Gospel, chapter 6, verses 12 to 16, is the church's beginning, the church in embryo, if you like. And we see there how Jesus envisaged his church, both then and in the future. Yes, it would grow over the centuries, it would get organized, it would be diverse in many ways, but its core principles, its basic principles, what makes it a church, should never change. And so these few verses are very significant. And, and, and they show three basic foundational things that a church is and should be doing. One, they show its, its makeup. Two, its task. And three, that it is a community. It's a family. Firstly, then, the church is makeup. The church is made up of disciples of Jesus. Verse 12, Jesus had been praying all night, and then verse 13, he called his disciples to him. And that's what a Christian is, a disciple of Jesus. A Christian isn't somebody who is just a good person, somebody who does good things in the community, collects for the city mission, or gives to charity, or there's somebody who's, you know, a bit religious. No, they are disciples of Jesus. And how does a person become a disciple, a Christian? Well, some words here show us Jesus called his disciples to himself. And that's the first thing. If you are a Christian, it wasn't by chance or it wasn't by accident. You weren't sort of in the right place at the right time or you just happened to be born in a Christian country so you're a Christian or you were brought up in a Christian family even so you're a Christian. No, in John chapter 15, verse 16, Jesus said to his disciples, listen carefully, you didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to bear fruit. You didn't choose me, but I chose you. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, for he, that is God, for he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. God chose you before the world began. And then in Romans chapter 8, verse 30, those he chose, he also, what's the next word? Called. He also called. You have to grasp this great truth, or you'll never fully realize the privilege that we have of being Christians, of being in the kingdom of God. If you are a Christian, God chose you before time began. And then, when God's appointed time came in your life, you were called by Jesus. And how are we called? Is it sudden and dramatic like Paul on the Damascus Road? Is it a sort of blinding light, an instant conversion? Well, possibly. But it's not often like that. At some point in your life, there will have been a stirring within you, 
causing you to think about spiritual things. Maybe somebody spoke to you about faith, or maybe they invited you to church, and you started thinking about God, about life. What is life about? Why am I here? Why have I been given life? Who is God? Maybe you heard the Bible preached, and you began to read it. And whereas before the Bible and what it said meant nothing to you, it starts to make sense. God, Jesus, his death, sin, forgiveness, they begin to mean something in your life. You didn't think about those things before, now you do. This is Jesus calling you. Or you may have grown up in a Christian home and went to church and were taught the Bible, but it didn't impact on you at all. But at some time, it came alive, so to speak. It, begins, it began to speak to you. A Christian friend of mine once told me uh, how he'd become a Christian. He said that he'd grown up in the Anglican Church. He'd been baptised and confirmed in the Anglican Church. He knew the prayer book backwards. He went through the liturgy every week. He knew it off by heart. He said, but they were just words. But when Jesus began to call him, he said, the words took on meaning. He began to see and understand them spiritually. Those in the prayer book, he began to understand them. And he told me they took on flesh. He said it was like Ezekiel in the Valley of the Dry Bones. Uh, the Bible and the prayer book and the liturgy were just dry bones when I was growing up. They were beautiful words, but they were just dry bones. But the Spirit of God put flesh on them for me. And if you're a Christian, you will have experienced something similar. Maybe slightly different, but something similar. At some point in your life, you became interested in spiritual things, in life, in God, in Jesus, in the Bible. You came spiritually alive, so to speak. And what happened then? Well, verse 13 says, Jesus called them to him. And Mark's Gospel says, and they came. They believed that Jesus was the Saviour, the Son of God, and so each one made a decision to follow Jesus. And it's exactly the same when a person becomes a, a disciple today. You believe, you take a step, and you follow Jesus Christ. Becoming a disciple also involves a separation. Jesus on the mountainside, then calling them to him, is a picture of them coming out of the world, as it were, meaning leaving behind a certain way of life and embracing a new way of life. And so following Jesus, becoming a disciple, is to stop living for oneself and living for God. That's the separation. Coming out of the world for a Christian isn't sort of running off to live in a monastery and becoming a monk or a nun or whatever, or living in a Christian commune, going running off to Gloryvale or whatever it is. It is simply living for oneself and stopping living for oneself and starting to live for God. That's all it is. And I say that and stress that because most people in the society don't live for God. They might believe that God exists, but they don't live for him. They live for other things, whether it's their work or their home or their family or their house or their travel or whatever it is. That's what they live for. A disciple of Jesus is different. And they're separated in the sense that their lives now have a different focus and a different reason for being and living. This is the beginning of becoming a disciple. And then your life is spent with 
Jesus. He called his disciples to himself. And I think that is the most important thing in the life of a Christian, to be with Christ, which means learning from God's word what God is like, how he thinks, what he wants from me in life, what is right, what is wrong, what is true, what is false, what is good, what is bad. And it means a life of prayer and discipline. The word disciple means learner, from which we get the word discipline. And so you can see the picture, can't you? It's very clear. Becoming a Christian is the beginning of a new life, a life of discipline in prayer and learning and living. And the more you learn about God and the Lord Jesus Christ, the more that you realize how much you don't know. I said a few weeks ago to the, uh, to the uh, meeting that I go to on a Wednesday, I said that before I became a Christian, you may not believe this, but before I became a Christian, I thought I knew everything. I look very humble, don't I? But I thought I knew everything. I thought I knew everything. But when I became a Christian, after a few months, I realized I knew nothing. Nothing. And this is a lifetime's learning. You begin to learn, and it's a lifetime. And the aim in all the learning is not just to become more knowledgeable. It's to become more like Jesus Christ, and to love him more, and to love our Heavenly Father more and more. That is the aim in all Bible study and in all preaching And I think we need care here today as evangelicals. We can read the Bible simply to become more biblically knowledgeable. So we can rattle off verses. Or, today as we see more and more, we can spend so much emphasis on getting a passage right correctly, getting it absolutely theologically correctly, that that actually becomes the aim. And we need care. Now that's important, of course. But studying, learning the scriptures is never, never an end in itself to gain knowledge. Its aim always is to lead us to love Jesus Christ and to love God our Heavenly Father more and more. And as you grow in your relationship with Jesus, you begin to sort of sense his presence with you more and more in every area of life. And it's a lifetime's pursuit You don't come to know Jesus Christ fully in a few months or even a few years. Some Christians think that you're born again, you become a Christian and bang, this wonderful relationship with Jesus Christ just goes, it's just so wonderful. No, it's a discipline. And it's to be worked at. It's putting time aside each day for prayer and for being with Jesus Christ, developing this relationship. At first, it's awkward. I remember first becoming a Christian and praying and developing this relationship. It's so awkward, like any new relationship. But as it's worked at and nurtured, it grows deeper. It's like a marriage relationship in a way. A marriage at first is all... Bubbly, isn't it? It's sort of all honeymoony, isn't it? Whatever it is, whatever that is. It's all happy and jolly, and, but after a while, it settles into a steady life together. And the relationship grows and grows as you learn more of each other. And over the years, if it's a true marriage, the relationship grows even deeper. You love them even more. And at some stage in your marriage relationship, after years, you realise 
that you couldn't do without them. Well, that's how a disciple's relationship with Jesus grows and develops. It doesn't just happen. It only comes and grows through discipline and spending time with Jesus Christ and his word. Living in his presence, if you like. You know, just as an aside, when a Christian says to me they're struggling spiritually, either with temptation or going places they shouldn't be or being with people that they shouldn't be or their faith is up and down or when their Christian life they feel is just going through the routine, I guarantee that there's an issue here. Not spending time with Jesus Christ and learning from his word. Not growing in their relationship. That is the most important thing in a disciple's life is to be with Christ. And so the church is made up of disciples. Secondly, the task of the church is evangelism. Verse 13, when morning came, he chose 12 whom he designated apostles. The word apostle speaks of task because apostle means one who is sent. Of course, these 12 apostles were special They were apostles with a capital A, if you like. In Ephesians, they're referred to as the foundation of the church. In the book of Revelation, they have a special place in heaven. And so these 12 were unique. They will never be repeated. There's no more apostles in that sense, uh, if you like. But in another sense, all disciples, all Christians are apostles, with a small A, if you will. Because all Christians are ones who are sent. And they are sent, we are sent, because we have a message. The gospel. And that is the task of the church. Apostolism, if you like. I I invented that word. Apostolism, or evangelism. That is the task of the church. And it's the task of the whole church. Not just the vicar, not just the pastor, not just the leader, or, or the missionaries. Not just some people in the church who are keen on evangelism, you know, the evangelism group or whatever. Not just young Christians. The whole church are sent once. We must get rid of this tradition that it's the minister who does all the ministry in the church. That is unbiblical. Listen to what the New Testament says, the task of a pastor or a vicar is, or whatever you want to call it, and your task, us as a congregation. Listen, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, I'm sure you know it. Jesus gave to his church apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers for what reason? Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Jesus saw his disciples, the church, as taking the gospel to the world. Israel should have done that. They should have witnessed to the world about God's love, but they failed. Mostly they kept it to themselves. They were inward looking. Read read through the Old Testament with those kind of eyes. They were inward looking. They focused only on the temple or the rules or the ceremonies or the traditions or the rituals. And sadly some churches today are like that. Inward looking. Focusing more on the buildings or their little church family or social issues and not doing the primary task. If you are a Christian... Do you realize that you are an apostle? You are one who is sent to reach the lost. That is your task. That is your calling. And it's the task of this church. Yes, there are other important things. Of course there are. 
But this undergirds everything. I remember a preacher friend of mine saying to me years ago, we were talking about these things, and he said, um, he said, uh, if the church, if Christians are not reaching people for the gospel, if they're not into evangelism, they might as well go to heaven, Wally. <laughs> that's exactly what he said. And when you think about it, that's true. Evangelism is the task of the church. That's secondly. Thirdly, the church is a community. It's a family. I think it's very significant that Jesus called not one to be an apostle, but twelve apostles. They became a community. And there are three things about this community that's very important. One, it is new. Yes, it has connections to the past, this has connections to the Old Testament, to God and the people of the Old Testament. But in, so it's, it's old in that way, it's a transition. But in Ephesians, the apostles are called the foundations of the church. Foundations speak of buildings which is new. It speaks of building something new. And in Mark chapter 14, Jesus made a new covenant with these disciples. And it's through this community, the church, not Israel as a nation anymore. It is through the church that God now reaches the world with his love. Secondly, each disciple was called into a community. That also is a link with the past. When God called Abraham, he said that through him he would build a family. And so it is with every disciple, every Christian today. Spiritually, we Christians are a fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. We are children of Abraham. I love that because it takes us back to the past. It takes us to all the people of God. We are children of Abraham. And we, the church, although new, are a continuation of that past. You, when you get to heaven, you're not just going to meet Paul and Matthew and John and Peter and Mary and Lydia in heaven. You're not, you're not just going to meet those people. You're going to meet Abraham. And you're going to meet Sarah and you're going to meet David, and you're going to meet Ruth, and you're going to meet Isaiah, and Jacob, and Rachel. You're going to meet all the people of God in the Old Testament. I'm dying to talk to Abraham. And if I can drag him away from my son, I'll drag him very quickly. God is building his community, and we must never forget that. And we are called into the fellowship of church with other Christians. The fellowship of the church, the church family. I speak to people today sometimes who, you know, they don't come to church, but, but, they, but they often say to me, oh, well, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. I, I call myself a Christian. I, I'm a good person. I try to keep the Ten Commandments, but I don't have to go to church. Well, technically that's true. But that is a misunderstanding of true Christianity. When Jesus called you, he called you into the life and fellowship of the worldwide church, and a local church. Every Christian should belong to and be involved in a local church. Even some Christians don't see that as important. Some Christians today are what I call sort of spiritual gypsies. They go from one church to another. They never commit themselves to one church. Now, I do know that there's sometimes godly reasons for Christians to leave a local church and go to another church. That's happened a lot just recently, and it's had to happen. People have, some wonderful Christians have had to do that, and they themselves have found it very, very painful. I've, I've spoken to them. I'm not speaking of those people. Sometimes it's necessary. 
But belonging to and being involved in a church family is a non-negotiable for a disciple of Jesus. John Wesley said, you can't be a Christian in isolation. That's exactly what he meant. And thirdly, this new community is diverse. Although those disciples were called to the same Lord, the same task, the same fellowship, they were all different in character. Do a study one day on the apostles or the early church. They were all different in character, in background, in work, in social standing, in temperament. They were all different. And by worldly standards, they were nothing special. Exactly the same uh, as the women disciples who went to the tomb, Mary and Mary Magdalene, Salome. They were all nothing special in society. They were ordinary. They were ordinary people. But Jesus called and used each one of them, and through them, he built his church. He built his church through those people. And again, you and I, this church, are a continuation of that. Each one of us has been called. We therefore have the same aim and the same purpose, which is to worship God, grow in Christ, and to reach others. But we are all different. We come from different backgrounds, different strengths, different gifts, different talents, different weaknesses, and we shouldn't all be the same. And all these gifts are given so that we can reach the lost, minister to and serve each other in the church family. And again, our traditional picture is that the ordained ministry in the local church does everything. Does the preaching, leads the services, visits the sick, dealing with the lonely, the troubled, the weak, the new people, organize this, organize that, organize that. They do everything. No. Ephesians chapter 4 again. The pastor's main ministry is to teach and equip the saints to do ministry. The vicar cannot do everything, nor should he. This may come as a surprise to some people in this congregation. But some people in this congregation are much better than James at doing some aspects of ministry. Believe it or not, they are better. Some are better even than your bishop. Oh yes. Not better than me, of course. Neither of those two. <laughs> Neither of those two are better than me, of course. They're all different. Out of the 12 apostles, Peter seemed to be the leader. You can see that from the start. And it was he who preached at Pentecost, but they all ministered. All used their skills and their talents to build up the body and to reach the lost. And so it must be in this church family. I get so encouraged in this church family. I also went to visit um, Trinity South. I went to both their services um, uh, over the last six weeks, I think. Dave, where Dave is the minister of the congregation. Just so, such a healthy congregation. You'd be so encouraged if you went there. All the, all the troops gathering and doing ministry, all kinds of things. And that's what you see in this church. And that's how it should be. God has given you gifts and you must use them, as I must. Well, this then is Jesus' call to discipleship. It's his call to those that he wants to be with him. Well, have you responded to that call? I hope you have. And if you have, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? And are you spending time with him, growing in him? And are you involved in the life of this new community? May God bless your ministry. Let me pray.
Heavenly Father, we do want to thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you as we go way back to the time of Abraham when you called Abraham and you gave him promises which we still remember and which we lean on today. We thank you for his faith and we thank you that you called us as children of Abraham, children of our Heavenly Father. Thank you for this congregation. May they continue to grow themselves individually in our Lord Jesus Christ and as a congregation as we care for each other and reach the lost. In our Lord's name we pray. Amen.